listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. We are in a series called Why the Gospel is Good News. Gospel, of course, literally means good news. And we are discovering how the gospel meets the true longings and questions of our world today. People are longing for healing. People are longing for power. People are longing for belonging and diversity. And the gospel provides the answers to the world's questions. And today I want to preach on the subject of true transformation. True change. People long for change. People long for transformation in our world. People long to perfect themselves, to find their true self and to bring their true self to full flowering and fruition, don't they? I used to say that, you know, the evidence of this was that bestseller books were at the top of the charts. And maybe they are still. I don't know what's going on with book charts today. But I think that in large part, social media and technology have taken over the self-help and improvement game. And when I think about my own phone and things I've encountered in the past week, in the past two weeks, I've seen many promises of transformation in people's lives. I've been told that even as a busy father, if I do the 28-day at-home calisthenics workout challenge, I can get a rip by. A six-pack, an eight-pack, maybe a 12-pack. If I would just do that. I've been told, my favorite is, I've been told that if I just learn these four chords on piano in 28 days, I can play thousands of songs. I can become the musician I always dreamed of and very quickly. I can perfect myself and find transformation in the direction I want to find transformation. I could earn six figures of passive income if I just sign up for this subscription and take this webinar course on real estate investment. <laughs> I can get help for all of my psychological issues if I get this app, if I talk to this person. I can truly find healing. I can truly find transformation. People long for change. Politicians promise it. Change is coming. We're finally going to fix things. And I think that the longing for change and the, the constant communication, it betrays the fact that we know we need it. We know we're not whole. We know something is broken. We know something has to change. The Bible talks about this process of change a lot. It's a story of transformation with what God is doing in his love. And the, the way that it typically does that and the way that it does that in our text today is by the metaphor, the organic metaphors of plants and seeds. See, I like these things and Jesus likes these things, so I don't feel too bad liking them. Vines and branches, etc. I want to put the image before you today of a seed. Okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're into gardening. I don't know what your age is. But I can tell you that within the past week, you've probably interacted with seeds. You've eaten a tomato, a cucumber, a strawberry, a blueberry. You've actually eaten seeds. Or if you've stood under the shade of a, of a nice fall tree whose leaves are changing, that tree started as a seed. You started as a seed, too. Here's the thing about seeds. I don't know if you knew this. You probably did. I'm going to give you a basic biology lesson. Within a seed, there's something called an embryo. All right? And it has many parts, but I'm going to simplify it for you. Now, I'm not going to use the scientific word. An embryo has two parts, essentially. It has a root and a shoot. 
all right? And if you put that seed in the ground, you put some water on it, expose it to some sunlight and nutrients and all of that, gravity will force that seed's root down into the earth. And what that root is looking for is nourishment. That root is looking for life, for food, for sustenance. That's its purpose. And if it finds it there, in that soil, then it will send that food, those nutrients, up to the shoot. And the shoot will bear fruit. That is essentially the story that Jesus is getting at. And the fact is that all of us started out as seed, too. And in fact, all of us inside our mother's wombs were called embryos. <laughs> and a baby, when a baby first comes into the world and starts using its mouth to search for food and sustenance, what do we call that? We call that rooting. But metaphorically, all of us are planted in a family, in a culture, in a land, in a world. And the roots of our hearts dig down deep and they are looking for sustenance. They are looking for life and for meaning. We are driven by a quest to live and to grow biologically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, holistically. But the thing is, not all soil is equal. There is depleted soil. There is harmful soil. And where you are rooted controls what your fruit is, all right? <laughs> where you are rooted controls what your fruit is. What kind of fruit you will bear in life is dependent on where your heart is planted at this very moment. And Jesus teaches us that there's fundamentally two places of being rooted. There is being rooted in the world, which we're going to get into, and there's being rooted in Christ. Union with the world or union with Christ. A simple two points today. First, I want to talk about union with the world. Now I'm going to preach this text a little backwards. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And pay attention to this language right here. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The world longs for transformation, as I've already said. And I think you could say that people today think about transformation in two major ways. I got this insight from Dr. Greg Thompson, who was once on staff here as a visiting theologian, but he taught me that even long before this. And maybe it's true of every time and place. Basically, I want to say that the two models of, people, of transformation in people's lives, how people are going to perfect themselves, how they're going to grow, there are two essential models, and there's happiness or there's effectiveness, all right? Happiness or effectiveness. Now, here's the thing. Within the happiness model, the goal of your life is to get happy. The goal of your life is to find more and more happiness over time. And the way that you do this, the way that you find happiness in the modern world, world is you come to know yourself. You dig deep down inside. You find the things that you desire. You find your passions in life. And what you do is, over time, your process of growth, your path of growth looks like removing everything that impedes those desires. And you tell yourself, well, if I had everything that I truly long for, if I could truly find myself and perfect myself, then I would grow and find the happiness that I'm looking for. This drives so much of the way we talk and act in the world. I see so many modern communications, you are enough, you are perfect, you are beautiful. And some of that is really good. We're going to get into how these models are not incomplete. They're crying out for a better solution. But all through 
our world today, it's the message. You are good. You are beautiful. You are good. Find what you desire. Do what you desire. Don't let anyone tell you no. It is a model of finding desire. And today it's, it reaches all sorts of new heights with the advancements of biotechnology and hormone treatment. You can literally create the self that you long to make. And you can perfect it over time. The second model is called effectiveness. And these are mutually overlapping. They're not mutually exclusive. Here's what the goal of effectiveness is. It is to master something, to be really good at something, to find your true purpose in life and get great at that. This sort of communication is in business schools and it's also on the street, on the black market. The goal is to find strength and mastery over time and that is how you will grow. You must grow strong over time. You must find what strengthens you. You must build your reputation. You must build your ego. If you think about it, and if you dissect the ways that our world often communicates growth, it falls into one of these two ways. Here's the thing about both of them, though. They are both rooted in self. They're both ultimately about you. It's about finding your desires. It's about finding what is going to make you strong, what makes you powerful, what makes you effective. St. Augustine once taught the North African church father, he once taught about human sin, and he said human sin is this, he called it incurvatus in se. And what that means from the Latin is human sin is human nature curved in on itself. It is self-referential. It is obsessed with self. It is always self-motivated, whether that's in the form of self-protection or whether that's in the form of self-advancement, and those things are overlapping all the time. We live in a world with the disastrous consequences ever since the fall of humankind of people seeking their own good over and over and over again. And it results in chaos. I don't want to pretty up the world for you nor am I surprised by its dysfunction. We keep thinking that if we can provide the right tools of people getting to know themselves and their desires and people getting to master things through education, that it will finally bring peace and prosperity and love to humanity. But the problem is much deeper than that. The problem is our hearts are curved in on themselves. The problem is our hearts are driven away from God, not rooted in God, but rooted in self. And this gets to the language of world. What does Jesus mean when he talks about world? Because it's pretty confusing. It's sort of like the word flesh in the Bible. There's been a lot of misunderstandings that God is opposed to physical reality. And what God wants, you, wants to do to you is grow you spiritually away from the physical. I want to define world, I think, in, in two essential ways that might be helpful for you. First, world, the Greek word cosmos, from which we get cosmos, is what we kind of mean by cosmos. It's everything in the universe. It's created things. It's stars and galaxies and Milky Ways and suns and stars, but it's also you and me, our physical bodies. It's animals, it's plants. And this is the world that God made good. This is the world that God loves. Jesus said, for God so loved, what? The world. God does not hate what he has made. 
God does not despise what he has made, no matter how broken it is. World means everything that God has made, and that's the world that God loves. So when you read the scriptures and you read the word world, you have to think about it in one of these two senses. Either that, it's every created thing. But world, as it means here in the passage, verse 18 and 19, world means systems of humanity and rebellion to God. World means peoples whose hearts are rooted not in God, the God who made them, the God in whom they live and breathe and have their being, but hearts that are rooted fundamentally in self, selfish. And ever since we were exiled east of Eden, there has been a world, a world in opposition to God, a world of violence, a world of idolatry, a world of racism, a world of hatred. John, in his letter of 1 John, he would say, this is what the world is. He says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You hear that? Then he describes the world like this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Our world today is driven into chaos. Our families are driven into chaos. Whole nations, Hamas and Israel, again, driven into chaos. Why? The desires of the flesh. The things we want, the land we want, the stuff we want, the money we want. The desires of the eyes. The lust for possessions or other people's bodies or pleasure. It drives our world. Or the pride of life. Building up our egos. This is part of broken humanity. This is the world that Jesus is talking about. And when we are born, we are often rooted, we are rooted in that world. We are influenced by that world. We, we grab our meaning and our nutrients from that world. That is what union with the world looks like. But there is also union with Christ. That's what I want to finish out with. Because it is into this world, this broken world, this dysfunctional world, this violent world, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sent by the Father to come to. For God so loved the world that He gave. Who did He give? His only Son. And the Son comes to the world. Why? It is to manifest love. That is what the Bible teaches. That's how we can summarize what the gospel is. It is Jesus coming into the world to manifest the original love that he has always shared with the Father. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he comes into this world divided. He comes into a world where people are marginalized. He comes into a world with broken economic systems, with broken systems of sexuality, with broken systems of pride and religious meritocracy. And he starts revealing a whole other kind of different world. I don't know what you think about the Christian faith, but Jesus Christ has not come just presenting another set of behaviors to live in. Or, or another set of doctrines to believe in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to the world displaying a different way of being. Inviting people to a new home to root their lives in. And that is the kingdom of God revealed in him. And that's what you see over and over again in this passage. He says, I am the true vine. This is the last of Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John. 
a chapter before this in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one could come back to the Creator, the Father, except through me. A few chapters before that, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you remember that? That means your hope through life and death is in him. In chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. In chapter, I can't remember which chapter, but he said, I am the gate. He said, I am the door. In chapter 5, he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven, and what you need to do is eat me. <laughs> it is a much different thing. The gospel is a much different thing than you assenting to the idea of forgiveness of sins on the cross in Jesus Christ. The gospel is a new world revealed to you. Finding your home in this one who said, I am. This one who said, me, 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 eat me, come into me, and I into you. But unlike the ways of the world, he is, it is not me, me, me for the way of selfishness. Because Jesus, all through our passage today, listen to this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. See, what Jesus had come to do, he said many times, is to bring people into the love that he shares with the Father. That's the heart of the Christian faith. How is he going to do that? By the sending of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. This is Trinitarian fellowship. It is what you were made for. Every single human being made in the image of God is made in the image of a triune God. A God who is not just one, but is three. The Christian faith is the only faith that can truly proclaim a God of love. Why? Because truly, if even in monotheistic religion, if you proclaim God, that God is only one, how can God be love? But the Christian God is a God who exists in relationship within himself. He has been loving since before there was a thing called time. He has been loving since there was before there was a thing called, called creation. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, he predestined you in love to be his child. Love is the goal. Not happiness, not strength. Gospel transformation begins with the message of love. This is what Jesus' greatest commandment was. As Elder Kenny and I explored with the kids this week, someone came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? Remember what Jesus said. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was the path that Jesus taught. The Apostle Paul said, The gospel and the law is fulfilled in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13 says, The greatest thing ever in the world is love. There is faith, and there is hope, and there is love. But the greatest of these is love. The goal of true transformation in God's kingdom, the goal is love. And the means is not finding yourself or strengthening yourself. The means is abiding in His love. That is His goal. That's what transformation looks like. And what are the results of that? It is not the endless selfish spiral. See, Augustine said, all right, human nature is curved in on itself. That is what sin does. What does redemption do? It opens us back up like a flower to bear the fruit of love. And that's what Jesus said over and over again in this passage. 
so that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. What the passage reveals is that transformation does not come from you. It is not sourced in you. Gospel transformation is because God loved, so I love. God is the gardener who plants. God is the gardener who prunes. When it comes to the gospel, you have to get your indicatives and your imperatives straight. We do not love, and so God loves us in response. The gospel says when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he loved. He gave life. He gave up his body for you, that he might transform you. This is the shape, and you have to get it right. Because only when you get it right will you start to put to death the inward curved selfish desires of your life. Because when I know the selfless love of Jesus Christ, I don't have to build my life. Nor do I have to see that my own satisfaction or happiness is the goal. I find out that the goal is actually just experiencing the love of God and bearing back the fruit of love into the world. So the true vine leads us to true, true transformation into true love. Let's explore a little bit as we close what true love looks like. It's hard to talk about love in a world that uses the word love so much and in so many ways and in so many cheap and flattened ways. Love is often equated with uh, happiness. It's often equated with fulfillment. It's often equated with a feeling, an overwhelming feeling. But Jesus puts a verbal definition to love. Here's what the greatest expression of love is, laying down your life. That's the greatest expression of love. How do you love one another? You lay down your life for one another. For Jesus, love is a dance of intimacy and obedience. Do you see that? Love is a dance of intimacy and obedience. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I don't want to discount the feeling that we long for. We do long for some sort of happiness, joy, fulfillment. And Jesus is saying in this passage, I'm telling you all of this so that you can have true joy in me. The goal of your life is to have intimacy with God. It is to have communion with his love. And it is to be there. It is to experience that abiding love of Jesus. But it's not only that. It is a dance of intimacy and obedience. You see that over over and over again in the passage. If you do what I command, if you if you do, if you have my word in you, if you follow my word, if you follow my command. And this is the natural trajectory of love. I cannot claim to love my wife and at the same time disregard everything that would sustain our relationship. Or disregard everything that she asks me to do or that I need to do from her. This is true love. True love is using your body, yourself, your soul to nurture another. That's what Jesus said. It is this call to obedience. And it's that dance of intimacy and obedience that grows our life into the way of love. The trajectory for your life, whether your faith journey hasn't even started yet, or you can articulate that you've had faith for a long time. The goal of God's transformational work in your life is to make you more like Jesus over time. That your patterns of thought and word and deed would become more loving, would reflect the love that exists in the Trinity, and that bears that fruit out into the world. That's the trajectory. 
but you cannot measure it by obedience alone. Do you hear that? We tend to think of spiritual maturity and our own growth as, well, if I was really spiritually mature, I would pray more. If I was really spiritually, spiritually mature, I would practice the faith more. I would read my Bible more. If spiritual maturity is only measured in obedience, then who in Jesus' day would have been the most spiritually mature? It would have been the Pharisees. They were the ones that had the most spiritual practice in their life, quote-unquote. But it is them who Jesus condemns the harshest. It is them, he says, you are selfish, you are prideful, you perform for other people, and the love of God is not in you. And it's to those who feel helpless and on the outskirts of religious life and the downcast that Jesus senses the true love of God in them. You cannot measure maturity in your own life only based on you practicing the faith. It is you truly loving God through what you practice. It is you truly loving your neighbor through how you practice. And this is the work that God is doing in you. And how does God do that work of intimacy and obedience? He does it in communities of love. You see that? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You can only work out the calling of love in community. And this community of friends, of Jesus' friends, are a diverse community. They're not all the same. They're going to have a lot of conflicts as time goes on. And Jesus is calling them to display the love that he has with the Father in their own community. This practice of the worship service is the principal practice of all the people of God. And here we encounter the God who is love. The God who calls us to joy and thanksgiving and the call. The God who cleanses us in the confession and calls us to humility. The God who, very briefly here, will feed us at his table of love. Who says, eat me and drink me and let me come into you. It is this God. And we practice these practices of love in community and are transformed. And lastly, out of these practices of transformation... We become communities of, of resistance to the ways of the world. This is how the passage ends. If you truly seek the love of Jesus, it will leave you at odds with those whose ends is only selfishness. Because the way of Jesus is self-denial through love. The way of the world is self-gratification through desire and strength. Do you see that? Those two things will collide. And the more faithfully you pursue the way of Jesus, the more in opposition you will come with those who follow in the ways of the world. And that might happen in your own household at times. Yeah. Might happen in your marriages. Might happen in your friendships. It might happen in your workplace. But we are not called to be unaware of the resistance that love will bring. Love is verbal. Love is a protest yeah. against the ways of the world. And Jesus is fortifying a people to be warriors of nonviolent resistance and love in the world. This is true transformation. It is not finding your desires and finding your happiness. It is finding your desires fulfilled in the love of God. It is not effectiveness and mastering things. Though if you want to grow, grow. But grow out of the motivation of love. Don't grow to build your own kingdom. Don't grow to build your own reputation. Grow so that you may be a blessing of love in the world. Master your craft. Master what you're good at. Be creative. Add beauty to the world. But do it from a motivation of love 
towards the end of love, which is glorifying the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is true transformation. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.